I volunteered at my daughter's elementary school in the library. And I have to say it was like my two favorite things because A, I got to organize stuff and uh, and then B, I got to see a bunch of, you know, six and seven year old kids reading and uh, discovering books and like showing them to each other. And I was like, I was melting. It was it was awesome. Hello, Lauren. Hey, Kelsey. How are you? It's another episode. It is another episode. I am doing well. How are you? Doing great. I'm excited. I feel like you might be groovy. Are you groovy today? I know. I've been saying groovy a lot, haven't I? I must be feeling (laughs) groovy. (laughs) I love it. Well, so tell us about uh, the guest that we have on today. I am really excited. We have a fascinating person on our uh, episode today by the name of Elliot Felix. He is the founder of Bright Spot Strategy, which some of our listeners may be familiar with, especially those in the library world. That's its start, but that's not really where necessarily Bright Spot lives today. Um, he is, if he's not already, he's, in, I, I think, quickly becoming the go-to person for commentary on student experience in higher education. He's an author, a speaker, a consultant, a podcaster. Interestingly, he trained as an architect, uh, went to MIT and Virginia, UVA, but made a decision mid-career to focus on people rather than space, the experience rather than the physical aspect. And I think that's framed a lot of uh, what we're going to hear today, how he approaches higher ed. Agreed. And I really loved his comment where he said, it's not just about where you go, it's about how you want to go to college. Ah, yes. Yeah. And so I really think he gives us a moment to think about both of those perspectives when you sit back kind of just in life in general. It's not just where you want to be, it's how you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Great lesson actually for just leadership. It's maybe you know how how you create your own role and how you create your own experience as a as a campus leader even yeah and uh, another thing he said was you are the designer of your own experience right so it comes back to who who you are and how you show up so i'm really excited for everyone to get to hear the conversation that we had with Elliot How do you describe your job or what you do to a rideshare driver? I say I work with colleges and universities to help their students succeed by giving them great facilities, support services, and technology. And then they say, well, what does that actually mean? They do. And then I say, you know, for instance, it might be like reimagining their library as a place that not only has books, but also helps students with their classes, with their projects, helps them tell a better story, helps them 3D print a prototype, helps them make a better presentation, helps them better analyze data, or it may be about you know, helping, a, helping a campus transform their classrooms so that instead of students tuning out because they're getting lectured at, their sleeves are rolled up and they're working on, you know, working on projects that light them up and give them a chance to work in teams and build skills and make an impact. Um, and so we're removing, you know, we're removing space as a barrier to that. Like we're, we're helping students learn that way because they're in the right space or they have the right support. 
Was that a personal passion and mission before it was, if it is, a company firm passion mission? It was. And you know, what's interesting is when I was in grad school at MIT, I got very involved in student government. And MIT was a fantastic place. Like I, I had an amazing experience there. When I got there, it was kind of a transitional moment. There was an outgoing department chair. There was a new dean. There was some, you know, there was some some things to things to fix. And the student government got together, and we did a project that's pretty similar to what now I do as a profession. You know, we surveyed the students. We held a town hall meeting. We actually did a, like a benchmark and comparison to other departments. We from that. We figured out, okay, here are, like, here are the problems. Then we held another town hall meeting and started to talk about how we'd solve them. And then we went to the new dean, and she, Adele Santos was, the, was, was her name. She's amazing. She was like, These all, this all sounds totally reasonable, and I'm so glad you're not just like coming to complain, but you're actually coming with solutions, and I hear you, and like, let's make this happen. And so we doubled the pay of TAs because so we were on par with other departments we turned the thesis project as the capstone project from this thing that more or less people were just like suffering in silence and you know would work for a year and then would have a 45 minute window to showcase their project to something that was celebrated with an exhibit and a public and a publication and a and a like public showing and actually and shifting the schedule so that other people could see it and uh, work and maybe even you know work with you. We sh we shifted the classroom schedule grid that helped with cross enrollment uh, for upper level studios. So that that project, I feel like w that was like a kernel of oh, I could do consulting work. For, Sounds like know, the for first colleges. bright spot yeah. project. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it kind of it kind of was. And um, so I feel like I've been. I mean, I was involved in student government earlier on, uh, in, you know, in undergrad as well. But I've, I feel like I've always kind of been helping students have a better experience in, you know, in college and then was lucky enough to turn that into a turn that into a profession. Was there ever a moment when you were doing that or as you were thinking about what you were going to do that you thought about working for a specific campus or were you always like, hey, I'm going to work in a consultative type role? The thought of like immersing myself in a campus and a culture and helping helping folks change sort of from the inside out has definitely appealed to me over time. On the other hand, I, I think my personality is more suited to kind of fast paced, multiple things at once. Um, and uh, and so that's I, I feel like has been a better has been a better fit. Um, you know, there are always trade offs. Like you know, if you're if you're in it, you can focus a lot more on the day to day implementation and execution, which I think is so important because like vision doesn't change the world, execution does. Like vi you know, vision gets you started. Um, but uh, but on the other hand, I I do like being able to move around and uh, help more people and focus on that, you know, on that, um, that front end. And it's, it's funny, like maybe the seeds of that were from my 
earlier, the earlier part of my career as an architect where I spent, you know, I spent, uh, I had a, an amazing experience working with Raphael uh, Vignoli, who recently passed. And my first uh, couple years there, I was on the concept design team. So I basically shadowed Raphael and I worked on like every competition, every proposal, you know, grueling hours, but super fulfilling. And all we did is the front end of the project. And then my, you know, last two years was like back end execution immersed on the site, you know, talking to the, talking to the CM, talking to the curtain wall manufacturer, looking at shop drawings. And so I was on those two extremes and I, you know, I had to pick and I decided to go with the front end. Okay. So safely ensconced in this profession that you'd gotten two degrees in architecture, you mentioned you have this entrepreneurial gene. There's something that's stirring inside of you. Uh, that says I need to do something more different, and I'm curious if you, is there a moment where that crystallized for you? I think I had, you know, there there were lots of amazing moments at MIT, and I think the one that maybe crystallized a lot of things for me about finding a different way to practice architecture and 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 help people was my. First, I was maybe three months into my thesis project and had a lot of interesting ideas, but didn't, you know, didn't really have a focus. I, I had found these sites within the New York subway that were what are called abandoned platforms. So the station is still active, but for whatever reason, they've walled off a part of it and there's space just sitting there. So like Union Square, Brooklyn Bridge... Columbus Circle, although now Columbus Circle, they've turned it into a pathway. There's, there's about a dozen of these sites. So I had these, but I, I, I didn't have like a program in mind and I was floundering a bit. And one of my thesis advisors, I had an, I had an amazing set of advisors. I, Mijin Yoon was my advisor and John Oxendorf and Mark Yarzenbeck were my readers. And Mark asked me sort of like point blank. He was like, if you could do anything, what would you do? And, uh, and I said, well, I think it would be, you know, it'd be something to do with education. And, uh, and, you know, we started pulling on that thread and we went from education to libraries Hmm. and, uh, it, my idea then was to like reinvent the branch library and put them in the, in the subway and think of the, you know, the, the subway democratizes movement and the library democratizes knowledge. And they're both these like circulatory systems, both have cards, readings, a form of travel, you know, it just everything like the flywheel just started to turn. And so my thesis project became the idea of subway libraries. And, you know, how do you, how do you make subways palatable or or even pleasurable, like bringing natural light in, creating places to read, creating places for events, creating even places to write. Um, and, uh, and that was really, that I think pointed me in the direction of where I wanted to go because I was as interested in designing the, 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 the way that the books would move around and, you know, and the cars would serve as reading rooms as I was, you know, the architecture and the shelving and the, and, um, and everything kind of in between. And, uh, and I think that that sort of put me on this path of thinking about 
not just space, but experience and programming and services and technology. And um, I think that was a really that was a really important moment. And I'm I'm incredibly grateful to uh, to um, to to all the all the professors there for like pushing me. Mm-hmm. You you must have had faculty and architecture friends those when you were ready to start Brightspot say, well, what are you doing? I mean, you got this great job or or was none of that the case for you? What I'm thinking about is we must have listeners who are wondering uh, if there's more I'm supposed to be doing or if there's a shift I'm supposed to make in my career in some way. And I'm wondering what what in that shift to Brightspot from this sort of understandable, very imageable kind of professional role to this thing that is little undefined and how did, what were you concerned about? What did people say to you? How do you help people with that shift? So I did a lot of little projects that were tests to understand like, okay, what's my value. And I think that really like de-risked the, like the, the start of it because I was able to uh, do lots of small tests to really understand, like understand the market, understand the need. And then be able to show how I could meet that need and also give myself confidence that I, you know, I can do this. What frightened you despite your uh, willingness to take risks? What frightened you about a significant change? Well, I mean, I think I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I think my, you know, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. He started a, uh, a, a company, a, a garbage collection company, you know, with no mafia involvement. Uh, you know, in, in upstate New York in the, you know, in the fifties. And, uh, and so the, you know, the idea of starting a company was, you know, was something that was in my, you know, like in the water. And, uh, and then, uh, my dad ended up taking it over my mom worked in the business. And, um, and so I, you know, I think like being entrepreneurial was, was something that I kind of always thought I might, I might do. But, you know, you have to take a lot of risk. And I, I started Brightspot like 2011 uh, in a, still in a recession. And, um, and I, think, I think that's, you know, there's a, there's a risk to that where you have to be, um, you know, you have to be, you have to have like both the confidence to know that you can figure it out, but also the like humility to know what you don't know and surround yourself with great people and, and, uh, and learn and fail and learn some more and fail some more. And, uh, I think that's part of it. Well, I was going to, I wanted to shift back. What's interesting when I'm listening to you talk about your architecture background. So when I sat on campus, I was part of multiple new building constructions and the process of it. And I, the first one I ever sat in, I remember turning to someone and saying, I am not sure how a building ever actually gets built because the architects sit around and have all these wonderful ideas and this beautiful plan. And we all have, I think, an ideal view of how the space would be utilized. And then you turn over construction documents and then construction people somehow build things and then things shift and change and then the reality of it all. And so how do you think about it in your work when you're helping campuses or people think about how they want to use space differently and get it from this ideal view to reality. I'm so glad you you asked that question because I've I've the same thought has occurred to me and I'm living in New York City and watching things built there, you know, every time I would see something 
built in New York, I would I would think to myself, like, this is a miracle. How are they possibly <laughs> pulling this off? You know, like there's not even like the space for the construction trailer is floating on the scaffold above the sidewalk that people are walking under. Like this is bananas. Like how are they pulling this off? Like it's 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 totally amazing. And it's starting from somebody's, you know, somebody's idea, somebody's sketch. And I guess the way I've always thought of it is you're trying to combine inspiration and information. And I think that, you know, there is there is such a need for um you know, for that creative spark that, uh, that a design team will come up with that will, that will generate, you know, generate the idea. And I, I sort of think about like creative ideas. It's a bit like, you're like, you're, you're like pushing this big amorphous thing and you don't know what the shape is or how much it weighs. And you're like pushing on it from different angles until it starts to roll and then it starts to get its own momentum. And like pretty much the idea starts, you know, starts to uh, take it, take you where, where it should. And I think you like, you need that inspiration. You just have to couple that with the information, which is like the functional requirements, the need, the implementation, the budget, the, the vision, the goals. And those are kind of like, once this thing gets rolling, you know, those are like the guardrails that, uh, that, you know, that makes sure that like that big thing you know, gets to where it needs to go. And, uh, and so like what, what our role is, is like at, at Brightspot is we're like gathering that information that complements the, you know, that maybe, maybe that actually serves as the inspiration. It might spark something great. Uh, and if not, it might guide, guide the idea to where it needs to go to be sure it aligns with the strategic plan at the university to be sure it delivers on the vision to, to be sure it achieves the goals to be sure it works within the budget and like most importantly to be sure that it works uh, for the people that it's for let me um offer a question like make an assumption that i invite you to challenge as i ask this question and that is that when Firms like Brightspot, or really any uh, advisory or consulting firms, um, are are asked to help an institution of higher education. That there's usually some scope written or some notion about what needs to be solved, right? And I also make an assumption um, and even admit that I'm guilty of having been at the university, um, uh, uh, sort of not aware of my own responsibility for what's not working. It's, so the scope that I write is about something that has to be fixed, but I'm in my own way. The leadership is in its own way. So knowing you've worked with over 100 institutions, deans, presidents, vice presidents, et cetera, and assuming that you're asked to come to a campus to sort of help solve a problem or, or make something better, how often do you find that really the issues aren't the space or the policy or the students or the faculty, but it's the decisions, the courage, the vision, the leadership. And if you find that to be true, how, what advice do you have for leaders today in higher education, having made all these observations that you have in, over the years, what advice do you have for leaders that are trying to solve problems, make things better for students? A lot in that question. I'm sorry. Does it make sense? I guess is the first thing. Yeah, well, I guess there's there's a couple of things going on. I feel like um, there's a spectrum of of help that people ask for, and on one end is what should we do, 
And on the other end is how should we do it? Mm. And sometimes you're in the how should you're squarely in the how should we do it camp. And the, you know, the, 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 what should we do has already been solved. And sometimes people uh, are looking for that, that guidance and they want some discovery process, you know, with surveys and interviews and benchmarking and trends to, to help them figure out what to do. Um, so I think figuring out like where you are on that spectrum is really, is really helpful. And, you know, sometimes you're, you're running the whole gamut and sometimes it's, you know, it's a little bit, you're a little bit in the middle, but I think that's, that's really, um, that's really helpful. And I think we, like, we always try and take a, um, uh, take an approach where we're trying to like embed the organizational change process into the, into the space programming and planning process. Right. Right. Uh, because we know that someone's going to have to carry forward the thing, yeah. uh, that we create together. So we better create it together. So we pay a lot of attention to, for instance, the governance structure for a project, who's going to make what decisions, when, how, who's at the table, who's, who's informed, who's accountable, who's consulted. Um, and uh, what's come before, you know, for instance, did, you know, did they just have a bad experience like with another consultant or with another project? Um, and, uh, and, you know, how, how might we build the capacity of the team we're working with so that they're best equipped to carry it forward? Like maybe they're actually learning new tools, skills, design thinking, um, service design, you know, whatever it might be. So they're in a better, a better position. So I think f for leaders, understanding like where they are on that, on that spectrum is really helpful. Uh, being open to being like questioned or challenged to, you know, to affirm their, where they think they are, I think is, um, is really important. And then really thinking about, um, th thinking about the people side of change is, uh, is essential. And I feel like I've, I've had, a have had so many amazing clients and so many amazing lessons in that. I mean, I, I think, you know, fairly early in my career, maybe one of a, a very early bright spot project, we had, uh, we were preparing for this huge board of trustees meeting you know, and the client needed all the material way in advance. And we had the meeting and I, I have to say, I was like, I was, I was so nervous about the approval for this, you know, for this expansion plan. And, uh, and the, the, the meeting went perfectly like a couple, you know, a couple people asked some questions, like a, some strong objections, but then other, other trustees, you know, were like, well, no, we can't, you know, they, they kind of debated it internally and they came to consensus and things went forward. And I was like, how did that just happen? And of course, you know, the, the leader we were working with, he had been meeting with all the trustees one-on-one, -on -one, you know, in the weeks prior, taking them to lunch, talking to them, walking them through the plan and uh, knowing, okay, here's so-and-so has this objection. Like we're going to, we're going to try and, 
address that proactively. So-and-so likes this part of it. And, you know, the chess game had already been played before yeah. we sat down at the table. It's theater. And that was, a, that was the, that was, to me, that was an, an amazing lesson mm-hmm. in leadership. And then, you know, then you see people that are, you see deans or provosts or presidents, maybe they're new in the job or maybe they're, you know, they're, they're not, they don't have that um, expertise or that acumen about people and politics, you know, and they think like, okay, if you, you know, a good idea always wins or like the rational argument always wins and they present it and then people shoot it down for like irrational reasons. Um, And, uh, you know, and then they're like, they're surprised. So a lot of what we're doing is like coaching people through that, like, especially if they're like new to the role is thinking about like, how are you going to lay the groundwork? Um, How are you going to like de-risk this presentation? Who are you going to talk to in advance? like what might their concerns be and um and and so forth and i you know i i have to say i've i've been the beneficiary of amazing uh amazing clients that have you know that have taught me over the years and then i've tried to pay it forward you know with other other folks that are experts in other areas but maybe not so much on uh on the people side of of projects yeah that is that is such an important lesson. I hope listeners take to heart that really great ideas sometimes still fail because the socialization to it, the contextualization to it hasn't hasn't occurred. And uh, there's a limited amount of time at a board meeting, for example, to yeah. hear, present, and vote. And um, so all of that that that's such a great lesson. Thank you for sharing that story. You call it socialization. I call it politicking. Whatever. Potato, potato. <laughs> that too. Uh, but I do think, right, it, it is key in how you're developing the relationships. We've talked about it on an earlier podcast around there's people like the list of people that need to know who you are, need to know if you're involved or not, if they're involved or not, need to be informed, need to have an opinion, right? So I think it's very much important piece in any new project on a college campus who's involved in how you're at the table. So Elliot, um, Let's go back to you for a second and think about like what brings you inspiration, what makes you excited in the work you're doing or in life in general. We'd love to hear about that. Well, I'll I'll give you one example which is top of mind because this morning I volunteered at my daughter's elementary school in the in the library reshelving books and uh and I have to say it was like my two favorite things cuz A, I got to organize stuff. Um and, uh, and then B, I got to see a bunch of, you know, six and seven year old kids reading and, uh, discovering books and like showing them to each other. And I was like, I was melting. It was, it was awesome. So I think that gives you like a little bit of a clue. I, you know, I, I love learning. I love to see people learn. I love to help other people learn. I, I always thought of like bright spot as a learning organization for learning institutions and, um, and our, you know, our parent company, Bureau Happold, uh, is is very much aligned with that vision and those, you know, those values. Um, so it's it's definitely like learning and organizing things. Um, it's also making things. We, I, you know, I, uh, m- my wife and I both have architecture backgrounds. So, like our our seven year old has dubbed us the Maker Family, and we mm-hmm. do like we do lots of fun projects at home. And uh, it can be everything from, you know, a few months ago, 
uh, Nora is, you know, is her, is her name, uh, said, you know, I want to make, um, I want to make passports. So we made passports for the illegal. family. Yeah, we, like, yeah. yeah where don't is tell this anybody. going? <laughs> so, you know, we found some blue construction paper, the right shade of blue, and we like made these little books and she like drew everybody's portrait and a little seal and everything. And then, and then I was like, well, you know, okay, if we're, you know, if we're going to travel, like we're going to need a credit card. So like, then we made credit cards. Um, and, uh, the credit card was called app and she like wrote the little, you know, she, she named it and, you know, she wrote the little numbers and, um, my son Theo is, uh, I don't know if he's going to be like a mechanical engineer or a sculptor or, or some other thing. We don't even know what is, um, he's four and a half. He's always making things, um, like putting things together, like balancing them, making these like sculptural mechanical things. And, uh, like he, uh, he made something out of like an old garage door opener that, uh, and then he like gave it to my wife for mother's day. And, you know, that was, that was, that was, that was like a home run. Um, so I think making stuff, learning, um, exercising one of the, like I moved to Minneapolis during the pandemic. And one of the things I love about being here is the outdoors is amazing. And, um, so I get to run around, you know, somewhere between one and four lakes per, you know, per week, uh, a few times a week. And, um, yeah, that's, that's a little, that's a, that's a, that's a little bit. Well, I'll tell you, if I'm ever on the run from the law, Minneapolis is my first stop. I'm going to yeah, come well, see you. We can make you a passport <laughs> if you need to, <laughs> right. you know, if you need to. Right. I think if we're ever in an uh, egg drop competition, you know, drop the egg from a certain yeah. height, we're also coming to you because I feel like That's right. your son might be able to help us. Yeah, I think some string, some straw, thing. some straw, some string, you know, I think we can, you know, a paper cup. I think we can make it happen. What was, um, what was uh, Elliot Felix as a college student like? I had a great experience at UVA and, and a lot of it, I think, was finding the right balance and focus. So I feel like I went in focusing so much on architecture and I think falling into the trap that a lot of people fall into, which is like anything outside the studio is taking away from your time in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then I started to take these really interesting classes that, um, you know, that opened my eyes and I think made me a better person, better thinker, better friend, uh, that, uh, that then like enriched. So like one of them <clears throat> took an, an amazing class with a professor named Tan Lin, who's a p- poet also happens to be Maya Lin's brother. And, uh, it was this class on collage as a, as a literary and cultural medium. And so we studied Picasso and Brock, but we also went into T.S. Eliot and Gertrude Stein and amazing, amazing things. And uh, one of the most memorable moments of college was walking in and his, his form of a pop quiz, we walked, you know, he walked into the room and he said, take out a piece of paper and write a story that reads like a landscape and then write a landscape that reads like a story. And I'll be back at the end of class. And that was it. And, hmm. uh, and so it was moments like that, that really like really pushed or I, you know, I took a class on the environmental history of India and, um, that was, you know, that was amazing too. So I think maybe I started off with a bit too much focus and 
you know, and then, you know, and then branched out. And what now, like, best practice is to flip that, right? You want students in their first and second year to take, you know, to really like cast the net wide and then focus as they go so they can graduate on time. I sort of, (laughs) I sort of did the opposite, but I was, I was lucky enough to, um, lucky enough to find the, you know, find the, find the focus. Well, it sounds like the the coursework, uh, coursework uh, opened your mind to different ways of thinking, new experiences, alternative uh, paths in college too. I mean, it had its, had its benefits that way. It sounds like. Yeah. And I think I also kind of like settled into college, um, and became, you know, a lot better person. I think, I feel like my first year personality was, uh, a lot more abrasive and elitist than my fourth year personality. And I, I, um, I'm very lucky to have friends that, uh, you know, that, um, you know, that I made over the years, uh, maybe as a result of, uh, growing a bit and, uh, getting over some, getting over some of my own shit and, uh, you know, being a better person, person for it. But like, you know, I think early on I like had to be right and like, you know, raise my hand for every question and like, you know, corrected the professor like I was that, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, you know, I was that, I was that student, um, uh, you know, sometimes and, uh, you know, and then I think by the end found firmer footing and figured out a bit more about who I was and, uh, and, uh, eased up a bit and was able to enjoy things a little bit more maybe. Before I ask the next question, are there any professors that you would like to apologize to formally <laughs> on the podcast? We're, we're happy to. <laughs> Warren and I feel like we've I, had I think to apologize it was tactfully, to people. So. I think it was tactfully done, but. Uh, yeah. Okay. But. Um, no need to name names, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think, I, I think I definitely grew a lot, you know, as a lot of people do um, in college. And I, I had a weird. I sort of had a weird entry into college. I, um, I graduated high school a year early and then I took kind of like a gap year in Brussels studying architecture in French, uh, for fun, not for credit. And, uh, and so I just like, I applied to a mess of schools from Brussels and then visited the ones I, you know, liked and got into. And, uh, and so it was weird. I I had kind of done a year of college, but it was, it was all in French and it was, you know, it was in Brussels, it was a very different education system. I had 13 classes that year. I, I had like a physics class, a geology class. I had like four drawing classes. And, you know, unlike a U.S. system, this was like, okay, we're going to plan out your week from nine to five, Monday through Friday, and it's going to be full. Um, so it was, you know, I, I th- that was great because I, I sort of had a running start, but I was maybe running in a funny way or something i don't know if i'm torturing that analogy but i don't know it was a weird way to enter college i think uh that leads me to kind of thinking about um you have a new you have a book out um you seem to talk a lot about and feel really passionate about the student experience and listening to your story and and thinking about um my own story it's very different right i i was a parks and rec major (laughs) 
my first semester, I think I took uh, swimming skills because I was a good swimmer and I very much knew I was going to pass that class. Um, right. So the student experience, though, what I think is a common thread and w would love to hear kind of where where you stand on this or agree or disagree is it's about evolving as a person and how you come into your own over those years and your college experience. And so um, would love to hear kind of w where your lens is related to that student experience and where you hope things are headed for the future of the student experience. Thanks for, thanks for asking that. And um, yeah, I think like after working with a hundred colleges to help students succeed with, you know, better space and technology and support services, I really thought, well, let me see if I can like work this problem from both ends and take what I've learned about how students succeed and distill the research, not only that I've done, but like hundreds of other studies, distill them into like an accessible book for students and families so that they can use these evidence-based tips as building blocks to a successful college experience. And so that was that was very much my um, my driver, and uh, and it's it's really been great to share what I've learned, and um, and to try and improve the the student experience um, in both those in both those directions, and to work on some of the themes that I like I've seen in my work. I think like students not feeling like they belong, not finding the support they need, not seeing how their classes connect to a career. Those are things that, you know, I've been noodling on and working on directly or indirectly for, you know, for a couple of decades now. And, uh, I, you know, I certainly see in, uh, you know, in my own experience and I figure over the years, I've probably done about, probably talked to a few thousand students and certainly see those as, as themes in their, in their experience. And I'm in it for the impact. So I'm just, I'm trying to find different ways to help, uh, to help students succeed. Yeah. Let's uh, give listeners to the name of the book is called how to get the most out of college. And could you, um, quickly describe maybe what, how it's organized, what's in it and where folks might be able to get it? Yeah. So the, the big idea in the book is that it's not just where you go to college, but it's how you go to college. And students make decisions every day about what classes to take, where to live, what to do a project on, how to find a mentor, you know, where to do an internship. And those decisions have equal or greater impact on your success. And that success might be about, um, Kelsey, like you're saying, about like figuring out who you are and and finding your you know your identity uh that success might be about finding purpose and you know a meaningful career path to it that success might be about uh you know being part of a community and feeling that that sense of sense of belonging um, and so the book i think challenges students and families to think not just about where but how and posits that once you're in that headspace of, okay, like, how am I going to go to college? Then you can think about college not as something you, like, navigate. It's not this obstacle course. It's actually something you create. So the book has 127 
tips that are very practical, short, one, you know, a page, a page, most of them are half a page. And each one says what to do, the research behind why to do it, suggestions on how to do it, and then a, a short student quote or story telling you how they did it so that it's, it's very accessible, it's very relatable. You can jump around. You can go from tip one, which is like, why are you going to college, to um, tip 54, which I forget what that one is, but I'm sure it's great. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you can jump, you know, so you can jump around and use these tips as the building blocks to a successful college experience. Mm. And the, the first part is all about understanding yourself and your options. Um, because, you know, if you're the designer of your experience, you got to start by, you know, understanding who you're designing for. And then the middle part talks about the common facets of the college experience. So thriving in class, building relationships, exploring career paths, uh, enjoying the facilities, using technology. And then the last mm -hmm. part has specific advice for different student identities. So uh, for first-gen students, for international students, for transfer students, for LGBTQ plus students, for student veterans, students with children, mm -hmm. uh, students of color. Uh, and that last section, I think, not only has uh, my insights, but in particular, it's drawn from an expert in each of those topics that I, you know, mm -hmm. that I interviewed and then, you know, the, the latest research on um, transfer student success, for instance, and uh, or student veteran, you know, student veteran mm -hmm. success. So um, I have to say, like, you know, the best part of the book was sharing, uh, sh you know, sharing this insight so I can help more students succeed. But the second, a close second was interviewing all these experts that are were so gracious in sharing their time and their research and you know i tried to do justice like distilling you know their life's work into a you know into a page like dr terrell strayhorn is like he he literally wrote the book on college student belonging and belonging um, yeah. and uh and so like taking some of his you know his insights and trying to boil it down for um for students yeah. was um was a lot of fun and uh and I, I certainly learned a lot i hope i hope the readers do too where where can people uh can they get this book from your website and if so do you yeah. want to share it yeah so elliotfelix.com has uh a link to the book it has a link to other things i've written interviews i've done Great. i also have a podcast uh which is also called how to get the most out of college and the podcast each episode dives into one tip so we take 15, 20 minutes and we hear from a student or a higher ed expert on belonging, on mentoring, on internships, um, on the college search process, on, you know, touring a campus. Yeah. Uh, so it's all there. It's on, it's on Amazon uh, as well, or it's, you know, um, it's, you know, well, we'll, direct from the publisher. We'll put the link on our uh, Campus sure. Confidential LinkedIn page too, so that folks know where to find you and, and find that book too. So. Yeah, and if folks have it's it it has a buy one give one model, so we donate a copy to a student in need for every one we sell. So if folks also have ideas about organizations to uh, yeah. donate copies to, I'm always looking for those. Last year came out last year, so you know last year we donated copies to like Generation Hope and to um, Take Stock and Children and the Crosby Scholars. Mm, wonderful and uh, um, the Collective Success Network. So um, that's that's pretty fun too. So yeah. always interested in those suggestions. 
Well, Elliot, it's clear you're a champion for students and the student experience and equity and inclusion and all the things that matter to us. You're passionate about education, and we're grateful that you're an entrepreneur for education. It's clear you're, you're making a real difference, and we're honored that you've spent some time with us today. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I was really delighted to share my story, and I hope it helps students succeed and institutions help them do that too. So thank you so much. Are you ready for some extra credit? I this time I'm ready. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> ready. This is different. Um, yeah. So our guest today talked a lot about uh, what brought him joy, mm. and so it makes me think: Is there anything that day to day, something in your life that brings you joy? Summer. <laughs> that's the Michigander. Uh, yeah, that's a northern Midwest thing, isn't it? Right? You wait so long for summer. I was just outside having lunch, realizing I just I have more energy. I'm happier. The sun is shining. People look happy. You have friends over. I don't mind the walk. I mean, summer. That's my. That's maybe just because it has just come like yesterday, but how about you? That's fair. And what's the temperature in your uh, start to summer? Um, well, it was 82 the other day. Oh. Uh, today it's in the low 70s. Yeah. Okay. This is actually about perfect for me is mid, mid to high 70s, no humidity. I have to acknowledge that our friends on the West Coast hate people talking about the weather. Like, <laughs> Why do you all talk about the weather so much? Um, something that brings me joy is pizza on Friday nights. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, I think 98% of my Fridays of life include pizza. Okay. Deep dish, Detroit style, St. Louis style, New York style. What is it? I, I have appreciation for all of it. I grew up on deep dish, so mm -hmm. shout out to Gir yeah Giordano's every Friday night. Um, but Detroit style grew on me when I lived in mm -hmm. Michigan. There's a there's a place for that. It's it's trending. <laughs> it is trending. Do you have pizza every Friday? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we do too. That's our thing every Friday. Huh? Yeah. It, maybe we need to do a poll and see yep. how many people eat pizza on Fridays. <laughs> Yeah, we maybe we should do this podcast on a Friday with pizza. Okay. Yeah. Well, until next time, we'll have pizza. <laughs> okay. Campus Confidential is presented by Compass Group, produced by Corey Insko and Jen Fisher, with your hosts, Kelsey Harmon Finn and Lauren Rollman.